And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, Mark Latham. Morning, Mark. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, Mark. It's good to be with you. You too, as always. Look, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. What the hell are we holding national cabinet meetings for if the whole lot of them can't come to an agreement on understanding on the vaccination of all frontline workers, whether directly employed by the government or not? All it leads to are new cases like we're seeing in Sydney and stupid buck passing and excuses again by the Premier of New South Wales. You asked the question, how did Gladys have an unvaccinated driver transporting air crews from Mascot, which obviously led to him spreading COVID throughout the community? Well, the answer is because the Premier yesterday basically said, well, he's a subcontractor, not my responsibility. But (laughs) it's her state. Well, absolutely. It is her responsibility. You can't have it both ways. You see, the government's always out there in uh, congratulations mode, saying this is best practice internationally. New South Wales has done a great job during the pandemic. Well, if that's the case, you've got to take responsibility for things that go wrong. And at the beginning of the pandemic, of course, Ruby Princess was a complete catastrophe so it hasn't been uh, smooth sailing pardon the pun in new south wales all the way through and in this instance it's just incomprehensible that so far into this experience uh, and vaccines readily available uh, with the premier saying all of the hotel quarantine workers and associated transport people need to be vaccinated why wasn't this fellow vaccinated why haven't we got in new south wales a checking system to ensure whether you're a contractor, a subcontractor or a sub-subcontractor in those transport, uh, moving air crews around to the hotel quarantine, you've got a certificate, you've got evidence to say you've been vaccinated. Well, How hard is yeah. that? No, it's, it shouldn't be that difficult. And at the end of the day, what it's going to lead to are further outbreaks. We're already on a, an orange alert level in some states where, you know, you need to isolate and go into quarantine if you want to travel to, to places like Victoria. If we're not careful, Sydney will head toward Melbourne's status of being in another lockdown, and that's concerning. Well, it is, and, and we need to puncture the myth that Gladys promotes as uh, Little Miss Perfect. In fact, there's been huge problems in New South Wales, and it's probably out, out of good fortune rather than good management that we've been in, in the situation we've had. We did have Ruby Princess. We had for many, many months the ongoing problem that cleaners and security staff at the um, quarantine hotels could go and get second, third or fourth jobs. Yeah. in Sydney. It took the government forever to deal with that. I hope they have by now. And, and now we come across this problem of an unvaccinated transport driver who took an American air crew, seems to have picked up the infection, the American strain uh, from that experience, passed it on to um, uh, another person in his house and on it goes. So it hasn't been perfect in New South Wales and the government should own up to those errors. All right, the AstraZeneca uh, advice uh, changed yesterday with the Federal Health Minister now saying it's for those aged over 60, uh, Pfizer for those under the age of 60. Problem is, some people, uh, of course, have already received their first dose. They say, just get the second one anyway, it'll be OK. Uh, this isn't going to do much for confidence. No, no, I can give you my example, Marcus. Um, doesn't do much for my confidence at age 60 and four months. I'm just in the 60 cohort, and I'm wondering, well, hang on, if um, it was unsafe for someone who's five months younger than me, uh, how safe is it for me? So there's an obvious problem on the borderline of these age cutoffs. And beyond that, uh, the AstraZeneca has caused 60 blood blood clotting episodes in Australia, two deaths, and I understand at the moment there's 22 people in hospital, four of them in ICU. 
So, you know, it's a serious issue. And, and I really resent some of the media commentators and politicians who go out and say, oh, those numbers are just 0.0% of all the people who've had AstraZeneca. Well, tell that to the families of the dead people. Tell that to the 60 who've had the trauma of blood clotting. I mean, these are serious medical episodes. If we'd had a vaccine out there, say, German measles for kids, that resulted in 60 blood clot episodes, well, you know, it would be a national outcry. How was this allowed to happen? It can't go on. It's unsafe. And the fact that they've lifted the age limit now to 60, saying that 50 to 59-year-olds can get the Pfizer, well, that just shows you that the AstraZeneca, right from the beginning, right through this, has had problems. Public confidence is down, but rightly so. Who wants to take the risk? Uh, the unemployment figures on a brighter note, uh, not bad, 115,000 new jobs. Uh, the Federal Treasurer out spruiking it yesterday. Of course, this all led uh, by the New South Wales economic recovery. Uh, so those numbers are something to at least crow about. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think two important points. One is that all that um, Labor Party and trade union hysteria about ending JobKeeper, that was misplaced. Because JobKeeper came off and unemployment came down. Uh, against expectations, yes, but, you know, um, uh, playing the role of Chicken Little, the sky is falling. When the evidence comes in and you're wrong, I think it's embarrassing for Labor uh, in Canberra. And the second point is, I, I did hear a Labor frontbencher yesterday say that the low unemployment, remarkably low unemployment, is a product of uh, COVID keeping the immigration numbers down, that we're not competing against a big number of overseas arrivals flooding the Australian labour market. Well, why don't we keep that going for a while and get unemployment even lower? If low migration produces low unemployment, isn't that good for Australia? Well, that, well yes, absolutely. The only thing that does concern me a little is that in these official employment figures, we count what we call underemployment. So sometimes, even if you're a part-time or permanent part-time employee, you're still counted in some of these figures as, bully, as being full-time. Look, I, I understand, of course, some work is better than none, and I get that. Um, but, yeah, look, any growth in jobs is good. And 115,000 new jobs in a month, uh, that's something certainly that shows that we're on the right track. Uh, the New South Wales Treasurer, uh, we've got the budget happening next week, which you and I'll talk about. Um, but all the, as always, all the good news gets leaked, all the goodies. A couple of people have been upset, obviously, this program not only broadcasting in Sydney, but in regional New South Wales, and I'm already getting the calls and the emails. What about us? The CBD will receive an extension, an extra $50 million for these new $100 worth of coupons to revive the city's economy, the CBD, but there are many regional economies um, that are suffering as well, and rightly so. People are saying, well, hang on, Treasurer, what about us? Well, that's a good point to make, because during the COVID restrictions, regional areas that haven't had a COVID infection uh, were subject to restrictions and lockdown. You know, I, I heard this in places like Singleton and Musselbrook during the Upper Hunter by-election. We haven't yeah. had an infection here. Why are we subject to these restrictions that are put in place? So regional areas have copped it for nothing, and there should be support for them. Um, but it's true to say that most of the big spending announcements have been in Sydney. Uh, $500 million for the powerhouse arts precinct at Aldermo. This is a powerhouse that not long ago they're going to close down. They said it didn't need to be there. Now they're spending half a billion dollars uh, on a so-called precinct and also a billion dollars for the um, Eritropolis, the 
uh, urban area they're building around the second Sydney airport at Badgeries Creek. Bradfield, you know, yeah. That, that, that should be contributed by the private um, landholders there. One of them, a big company, Celestino, has had a rails run, you know, a, a Rolls-Royce ride, getting everything they want out there, and they're going to make a fortune. So they should be funding uh, large parts of their own infrastructure instead of the money coming out of the budget building up uh, debt and deficit. Sure. Uh, also, of course, uh, when you're, you're looking at uh, spending money, um, this will please people out around the Hawkesbury Nepean uh, in the Penrith region. Uh, Panthers Stadium seems to be getting an upgrade at the cost of the taxpayer. I'm a little concerned. Isn't uh, Penrith Panthers one of the most viable, successful money-making ventures within the National Rugby League? Why out there in Penrith? Why are taxpayers footing the bill for a new stadium? Well, the Panthers Leagues Club is very profitable. Yes. You know, it's a mini city and a great development that yep. uh, people uh, in Western Sydney love. But the ground itself would be owned uh, by the local council. Yeah. So, um, and there must be an argument there to make some improvements. But you know, I've been to the Panthers Park there, and uh, they've got two very good grandstands. Maybe they just need to build them at either end, the northern and southern end of the ground, to square it off. But, Marcus, these stadium issues, haven't we been hearing about this forever without yes. a concrete plan? There was the debate about the football stadium and then do you upgrade Stadium Australia at Homebush? Business plans for these um, um, suburban stadiums uh, were supposed to be out, uh, I think, six months ago. Mm. Nothing on that front and confusion as to what happens at Cogra. So we'll be looking on Tuesday to see can they finally, finally put in place a workable plan for the stadiums, but if it involves an upgrade of uh, the Penrith facility, I think that's a good thing. It's well used. If you're going to put people out in Western Sydney, and Penrith is a growth area. Yeah. You've got to upgrade their facilities, and they love their footy team, which, of course, is uh, near top of the ladder. Yeah, uh, look, I get that, and I uh, and I appreciate that. But you know, when you then when you look at other areas not too far away from Penrith that are crying out for new high schools, we're about to open up a a whole new stack of housing developments on greenfield sites in the southwest, and you wonder whether there's enough infrastructure. I'd I don't know. I just I worry that. Well, you're right. It's a question of priority. I'd certainly yeah. like to see some planning, even land allocation for a new public hospital. They're putting in. 1.3 million people mm. west of the M7, but no land or forward planning uh, allocated for that uh, new city around the airport site. So that's a major, major hole in their budget. And they've got all this money um, for the arts precinct, a um, billion dollars for uh, effectively helping the big private developers at the Aerotropolis. What about uh, health services? You're, you're very um, cheeky on Twitter. That's that's how I'll put it. Uh, do you believe? <laughs> do you good. believe in free speech? Yeah, I do. Yes. I believe in free speech, mate. But it doesn't yes. extend to the perverted activity of renting out John Barillaro's Airbnb there in southern New South Wales, uh, posing for photos of what, what appear to be female sex slaves, and boasting on social media that you had a root in every one of Barillaro's rooms. Now, there's a difference between free speech and weirdo perverted freaks. And I think we've got to draw that distinction in the case of Friendly Geordies. What he did that day was a disgrace. It should not be a legitimate part of our public life. And degrading women as sex slaves sitting there like dogs in front of him, posing like dogs in front of him, yep. is just not on. Who, we, who in the journalistic world turns up at a funeral to buttonhole a deputy premier and try and embarrass him 
on the steps of St Mary's Cathedral. Give me a break. All right, all right. But again, it seems to be sort of nitpicking certain areas rather than actually oh, dealing with well, the well, substance if you, if of Bob's what the... If you're Bob, no, no. Bob Fulton's family yeah. wanting a bit of respect for a funeral, it's not nitpicking, it's a really big deal. Have you if seen the video, Barrow though? It was family, hang on, it wasn't... Looking at that Airbnb yeah. in southern New South Wales, mm. it's a really big deal too. Yeah, but how did he get the Airbnb? And what about well, he rented all... it out and then made a goose no, himself. I know all that. I know all the content of the allegations that he makes in the videos, nobody wants to talk about them. Everybody seems to want to focus on, you know, whether or not he's been a naughty boy. Well, he hasn't been arrested over the material. He's been arrested for alleged harassment, and I've outlined part of the pattern yeah. of that harassment. So they're two separate issues, and if people want to Fair raise enough. those issues, 140 state MPs who've got parliamentary privilege, and I don't hear them banging that drum.